everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Theological Podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodge, and joined, as always, by the uh, resident master theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. I, I, Spencer, how are you doing? I think my name's changed every week, every episode I don't know how since, to do this anymore. Since, since I got my master's degree. Uh, it's been too long. But uh, I've, <laughs> we, uh, I guess I could say... Uh, Things are going good. They could definitely be going better. Um, a lot, same. A lot's happened since the last time we recorded, and even more has happened since the last time we posted an episode. Yes. So let's uh, story time for the listeners here. We recorded this episode a month ago. Um, there was something wrong with the audio on uh, one of our sides, and we couldn't. I, I could not fix it in editing it was just the whole thing and there was no doing it just something weird happened you know technical problems whatever so we were going to re-record it the next week that next week I was playing basketball and blew out my ACL and meniscus on my right knee so my you know I can't drive Uh, all sorts of stuff have shifted for me I've been preaching out of a chair I hate it uh, it's the worst. I had thing. to do that once. It's horrible. <laughs> it's awful. Uh, but that's been going on, and so we've been trying to record. And my schedule has been so up in the air of can I get into the office? Trying to record at home is a whole another thing. All that stuff. So we recorded this already. Couldn't upload it because of issues. We're recording it now. Uh, I am. We're recording on a Wednesday, and I'm posting it on a Wednesday because tomorrow, when we would normally post, is my surgery day. <laughs> so we're trying to get this in under the wire, and I don't know when the next recording will come out. Sometime after my surgery. Sometime. Weeks, I hope. And anyway, I hope people have been anticipating this episode that they haven't given up on us or anything like we're that. We're here. We're still alive, alive. Barely. I'm still alive. Barely alive. Yeah, I'm hanging on. Uh, I'm hanging I, on. <laughs> but we're, we're still here and still alive. Yep. And we're uh, excited to be recording. It's been so long now that it doesn't feel like a re-record. Uh, I don't know. I'm looking at the notes, but I, you know, I don't remember anything that Spencer said. So this is great. <laughs> I'm learning it all over again. <laughs> Uh, I had to be reminded of what we talked about in the previous episode, the ministry to the outcasts, uh, that being connected through the Lord's Supper, talking about Judas, uh, as well as the pattern of Mm -hmm. ministry to the outcasts that we see throughout the Gospel of Luke. Uh, And today, uh, we're going to continue with the Lord's Supper discussion, uh, talking about the phrase, do this in remembrance of me. And so a lot of the, the reminders that we are given uh, the things that we're supposed to be thinking about and remembering uh, when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Before we get into all of that, uh, I want us to I want to remind you of Thinking Theologically on Facebook. Uh, if you don't like that page, uh, then you're missing out on some additional content that we post whenever uh, all four of our knees are working. Uh, and so you make sure you like that page so that you stay on top of that. Uh, Also, if you have comments, questions, criticism, stuff for uh, maybe going back on previous episodes or or thoughts about future episodes, because I think we're getting to a point where we're going to wrap up this subject and we have another one in the queue that'll go for a while, but we have room for 
thoughts. You can send those to us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com or get a hold of us, Facebook, or any social media for theologian master resident on every platform. That's where he is. That's what it takes to be a master resident. You got to be everywhere. You have to have (laughs) places for content, and that's that's what he's done. Uh, Our subject today is... Uh, very much encompassing of, uh, I'm just going to roll into this introduction part, because uh, I think I did it in the original, I don't remember, uh, reminders of the liberation discussion that we've talked about with the Lord's Supper, uh, looking ahead to uh, the great banquet, the eschatological banquet, uh, also talking about forgiveness and service at the table, as well as, again, the previous episode about ministry to the outcast, and all of those things are what we remember, what we recall uh, when we go to the Lord's Supper. You probably have this phrase on a table in front of you at your congregation. In fact, uh, I I looked this up. I remember we looked this up. Uh, If you search communion table right now, just Google it. (laughs) Like you're going to buy one. Uh, That's what you're going to see more than likely on every table. That's true. Do this in remembrance of me on the front. It's just a very important phrase that we use. I think the last time we were recording, I had been shopping for communion tables, actually. Yes. And I was like, they're on all all the tables. (laughs) And I I don't really like it there, to be completely honest. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Not not that, to me, it's just, it's not aesthetically pleasing to my eye. Um, But I'm more of a modern... Uh, design type, which just want a plain table. Th- th- yeah, uh, that's very, very simple, basic, straight lines. And that's my kind of a thing. But they like all have do this in remembrance of me, which is a phrase. Uh, and this is not the first time we've seen this, but this is another Pauline sort of deal where Luke and Paul both have the phrase, uh, but the other synoptic gospels of Matthew and Mark don't have the phrase. So uh, interesting discussion there and something that we'll uh, kind of point out as we, we go along here. We've got a few things specifically we want to talk about uh, remembering. Uh, if there's nothing more to add to the beginning here, w- uh, Spencer, talk to us about remembrance yeah. of Judaism whenever you get there. Yeah, I was going to say real quick, it's kind of, it's always been interesting to me, some of these phrases like do this in remembrance of me, which is found twice in Paul. Uh, Paul's version. He has it yeah. with both the bread and the cup. Luke just has it uh, regarding the bread. Okay. Like you said, Matthew and Mark don't have it at all. Uh, it's It humors me sometimes how we find these phrases that are like very important to us. And I think do this in remembrance of me in reference to the Lord's Supper is one of those important phrases for a lot of people in a lot of churches, which, yeah. which is great. We're going to talk about all that's built into this phrase. Like it's, we're doing a whole episode just on the idea of remembering. Um, it It's loaded, but, uh, you know, we talk about, well, you know, maybe someone's presiding over the Lord's Supper and we say, Jesus instructed us to do this in remembrance of me. And I kind of sometimes wish I could raise my hand and be like, okay, who's Jesus are we talking about? Because Matthew and Mark doesn't care about (laughs) remembering. But Luke and and Paul's seems to be uh, important. It's also interesting to me, it seems to be 
at least within churches of Christ, we've historically liked Paul a lot more than we've liked the Gospels or the other letters. Yeah, we've kind of yeah. had this affinity for Paul. And that's I'm assuming that's where our love of this phrase comes from, because Paul says it twice and Luke probably steals it from Paul or the same tradition that Paul's working with. So and we love we love our Paul. Um, yeah. With as often as we have it and use it, you would think that it's everywhere. A bigger phrase. Yeah. Just more present throughout all the texts. And it's not. Nope, nope. Okay, so... But still important. Still, still important, important for a number of reasons. As we're going to talk about, right? Uh, the idea of remembering. Uh, remembering is an important virtue in Judaism, especially regarding the Passover. And this is something yeah. that we've said before, and I always like to remind people when we start talking about ideas within Judaism, we remember that Jesus and his disciples are Jews. So when Jesus and his disciples are gathering around to take the Passover, it's a group of Jews celebrating the Jewish Passover. And in that context, Jesus uses this phrase, do this in remembrance of me. And what Jesus is doing there, it seems, is capitalizing on the significance of of remembering, not just in general for Jews, but specifically for Jews to remember at the Lord's, at the Passover. Um, Mm -hmm. So, for example, in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 14, when uh, God is giving instructions for the Passover, he tells them, this day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, Throughout your generations, you shall observe it in perpetual ordinance. So when the, the God is instructing the Israelites on celebrating the Passover, uh, it is a day for them to remember, uh, particularly with the Passover. It's to remember how God freed them from slavery in Egypt and led that exodus of his people out. And I think it would also include how God did that to set Israel apart as his special people. I don't think you can remember the Exodus without realizing God did that to make us his people, to give us his law, to call us to be the lights and the priests of the entire world. Because that's where the Exodus story leads. They come out of Egypt and then they make their way to Mount Sinai. And then uh, in Exodus 19, God says, you are my chosen people. And this is why, to be a light to the nations. And then... Uh, God starts giving the law, um, the Ten Commandments, so on and and so forth. Uh, it's also interesting to me in, in this Exodus 12 passage how it's God says throughout generations you shall observe it in perpetual ordinance. So the idea of every year you continue generation after generation after generation to take the Passover and to remember what God did when he led your ancestors out of Egypt. And that's similar language to the way we talk about the Lord's Supper. We, especially within churches of Christ, where we take it uh, every week, uh, we think about continuing generation after generation every week to take of the Lord's Supper and remember. And it's Paul's version of 
Jesus institution of the Lord's Supper where you have the language of as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup. Um, so every time you're doing this, there are certain things that are taking place just like with the Passover. And so Jesus is capitalizing on this idea of remembering regarding the Passover and now applying that same concept to remembering and the Lord's Supper, which continues to be partaken of by the followers of Jesus. But Mm -hmm. in Judaism, uh, to remember events such as the Exodus during Passover is not merely to remember a past event, but it is to bring the event into the present. Uh, Rabbis later on, so this is after the time of Jesus, but the rabbinic tradition that develops after the time of the first century Rabbis would teach, in every generation, a man must so regard himself as if he came forth himself out of Egypt. So Mm. for uh, rabbis taught, when you take of the Passover, you're not just remembering God did this thing a long time ago to a bunch of people that are now dead. And, you know, whoop-de-doo for that. That's not what... Uh, rabbis instructed Jews to do when they take the Passover. It's They said you kind of bring the exodus into the present and you see yourself, you regard yourself as one of the people that God freed from slavery in Egypt and made as his people because you still are. Jews are still, I mean, even to this day, we can, you know, the whole uh, Jesus thing, of course, changes things. But still, The people, Jews, who come from the Jewish bloodline are still the people that God led out of slavery in Egypt and made his special people um, thousands of years ago. And we see that principle of remembering, not just looking to the past, but bringing things into the present throughout the Old Testament. So if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see numerous times God reminds Israel that he brought them out of Egypt in an effort to elicit a faithful response among the people in the present. So God will remind them, remember, I am the God who led you out of Egypt. Therefore, stop doing this or start doing that. And one of my favorite examples is God says this in Exodus chapter 20, which is where he gives the Ten Commandments. So before giving the Ten Commandments, which are like the heart of, of Jewish identity and of Jewish law and of Jewish faithfulness. God says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then the Ten Commandments start. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Well, why are they not to do that? God says, you are not to do that because I'm the God who led you out of Egypt. And God does that all the time of, remember, I'm the God who led you out of Egypt. Therefore, do what I'm telling you to do. In essence, that's throughout the Old Testament. And so that idea of remembering is God not just telling them, hey, remember I did this great thing in the past. But by remembering what I did in the past, it should change the way that you live in the present. When you remember that I'm the God who led you out of Egypt, then that should, it ought to lead you to be obedient to God. In the case of the Ten Commandments, it should lead you to then follow the Ten Commandments. Um, 
God, since God is the God who led them out of Egypt, you shouldn't have any other gods before him, before the God who led you out of Egypt. You shouldn't worship false gods at the expense of the God who led you out of Egypt. Uh, you should not take the God who led you out of Egypt's name in vain. You are to keep the Sabbath and make it holy, which is rooted in what God did in the creation. Again, the God who led you out of Egypt. Uh, if you follow the God who led you out of Egypt, it's going to change the way that you interact with people. So you honor your father and mother. You don't murder. You don't commit adultery. You don't steal. You don't bear false witness. You don't covet all of those other Ten Commandments. It's rooted in a way of remembering the past that brings the past into the present. But remembering in Judaism is not just remembering something from the past, and it's not just bringing that past experience into the present to elicit a faithful response to God in light of what God has done in the past. But the Passover also looks to the future in anticipation of a new exodus. You might remember, particularly in the time of Jesus, that the Jewish people are still in captivity. They're under the control of the Romans, and they desired to be freed. And that's what they thought the Messiah was going to do, was the Messiah was going to free them from their captivity to the Romans and reestablish an, the earthly kingdom of God, the earthly kingdom of Israel. And mm -hmm. so when Jews in the first century would be taking the Passover, they're not just remembering in the past, God led us out of captivity. And because of that, in the present, there's a certain way that I live. There's a certain obedience and faithfulness and trust that I have in the God who led my ancestors out of slavery in Egypt and made us his people. But they're also now thinking God has also promised to do that again, to lead a new exodus from captivity. Now, they're thinking in regards to earthly kingdoms. Jesus provides that new exodus in a different way. We've talked about that yeah. in past episodes. But they're waiting. They're looking to the future. They have this hope of that, that's going to happen again. And for many, that's going to happen again if we're faithful in the present. We've talked some about why the Pharisees had such problems with Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. And it's not because the Pharisees are horrible, judgmental people. That's kind of how we characterize them. And that's pro that's a bad characterization and maybe even a little anti-Semitic as well, because the, the Pharisees simply followed the law. So you think of Jesus eating with sinners and the Pharisees get mad. Well, why do they do that? Well, if you go read Psalm 1, it says not to sit in the seat of sinners. The Old Testament says don't eat with sinners. So the mm -hmm. the Pharisees aren't pulling this stuff out of thin air. But they also know how did our ancestors, if you're a Pharisee, they're thinking, how did our ancestors end up in captivity? How did we end up where we are? Well, because we were disobedient to God. So how do we get set free? How yeah. what what must we do so that God will bring about that new exodus? Well, we have to be faithful. And so that was faithfulness was very important to them. And that's why they, I think they took issue with Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners because they're afraid Jesus could lead everyone in the opposite direction and then we have no hope for a new exodus. And all of that would be going through people's minds as they're taking the Lord's Supper. 
They're looking. They're remembering the past. They're looking to the future. And in light of both of those, it means they have to continue to be faithful in the present. That's what the Pharisees were doing. That's even what Jesus and his disciples are doing. Because Jesus never disagrees with what the Pharisees actually do. Uh, he disagrees sometimes with maybe the way they carry things out. Or that they're doing things that they ought to be doing, but are less of lesser importance than other things that they aren't doing. Or saying, hey, you believe this, but you're not actually doing what you believe. And all of that is encompassed in this idea of remembering. All of it is particularly encompassed in the idea of Passover. And the language that Jesus is using uh, then applies all of those themes to the Lord's Supper, which is also a time to remember. And the Lord's Supper also being a fulfillment of of the Passover itself. I don't have uh, too much content-wise to add here, but I would suggest to our listeners, especially since uh, the Passover and the Lord's Supper are so intricately connected, uh, that you just do a simple search for Egypt on Bible Gateway. That'll be good enough. And just look at how often... It is mentioned throughout the Old Testament in particular uh, and how often they're reminded or like we said that uh, this statement from God of I brought you out of or I am the God who brought you out of just how often that's there. Um, and I'll, I'll add to that the uh, is it first Kings 12? Yes. Um Within Solomon's story, really the whole of Solomon's story, you have the marriage alliance with the daughter of uh, the king of Egypt, and then you have her being listed first as uh, part of the the breakdown for Solomon uh, within his kingdom. And it's very much a they found themselves going back to Egypt kind of a thing. They didn't remember like they were supposed to. And there's so, there's just so much in a study like that. So I want to encourage you to do those things as kind of an extra to all of this because it's, it's an incredible study. Uh, and very important to our taking of the Lord's Supper to see just how important it was that we remember where, we've, where, where we were, what we've come from, and as was said a moment ago, how Jesus has brought us this greater Passover, not just physically out of this slavery in, in the past, but out of this spiritual enslavement to to sin and all this. Uh, so let's talk about the actual taking of the Lord's Supper and the, the remembrance uh, around uh, sitting at the table and all of this. So I mentioned uh, a moment ago that the, the Lord's Supper functions in the same way as the Passover does, as the Lord's Supper is a reinterpretation and a fulfillment of the Passover, and it's also an event like the Passover to be done in remembrance, in the case of the Lord's Supper, in remembrance of Jesus. And so the way that the Passover looks to the past and looks to the future, but also brings the past into the present. There's things to do, ways to live, trust and faith to have, in the present, in light of what God's done in the past and what he's going to do in the future. All of that, Jesus is now incorporating and uh, placing upon the Lord's Supper. 
And hmm. so Luke wants his audience to continue practicing the Lord's Supper, not merely to remember Jesus in the past, but to make Jesus present as they look forward to sharing the meal again with Jesus at, at the eschatological banquet. So hmm. you've got the past, the present, and the future. You take the Lord's Supper in the present, and you not only remember what Jesus did in the past, but you also look to the future as you wait to share that heavenly meal with Jesus in the new creation. And I think that the Emmaus story with its Eucharistic Lord's Supper language is the perfect example. Uh, You may or may not be familiar with the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, but it's Sunday afternoon. That morning, the tomb had been found empty. So Jesus, at least in Luke's gospel, maybe this is a pot. Uh, something to talk about in another episode. In Luke's gospel, Jesus dies on a Friday. Okay. Um, and the tomb is discovered to be empty on Sunday morning. Right? The women go to the tomb. They find mm-hmm. it empty. Uh, they go and tell the disciples. The disciples then go, at least some of them, go and look at the tomb and because they can't believe that it's empty. They, too, find it empty. And so uh, later on that day, two followers of Jesus are on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they're discussing with each other about what had happened earlier that day. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah so that he would reestablish the kingdom, but then Jesus died, which must mean that Jesus was not the Messiah. But now Mm. the tomb's been found empty, and they know the women claim that angels told them that Jesus had been raised. But... The disciples don't seem to, at least some of them, don't seem to believe the woman, the the women, that that's happened. And so these two followers on the road are talking about all that, and they don't really know what to make of it. They don't know why the tomb's found empty. They don't know where Jesus' body is. They don't know, do we believe the disciples or do we believe the women who claim that these angels spoke to them? Uh, Was Jesus the Messiah? If he was, why did he die? They've got all these questions. They don't understand what's happened over the course of the weekend. And then Jesus appears to them. But they don't recognize that it's Jesus. Luke tells us that uh, their eyes were shut, that they were kept from seeing. Uh, some. The language is something like that. And so they're unable to recognize Jesus. And Jesus asks them what's bothering them. And they tell Jesus the whole story. And there's some irony there of they are telling about their inability to, they're telling Jesus that Jesus, they don't know where, and they're telling Jesus that they don't understand who Jesus is, uh, but they don't know that it's Jesus that they're talking to. So they have this conversation. Jesus uses the Old Testament to explain to them how the Messiah had to suffer and die. They still don't know that it's Jesus. They arrive in Emmaus. And Jesus goes to continue on his way, and the followers ask him, no, why don't you sit down and eat with us? And so they sit down to share this meal, and they still don't know that it's Jesus that they've been hanging out with all day. And we're told that when Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them, which is the exact same wording that's used in the Lord's Supper, when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper by taking bread, blessing it, breaking it, and giving it to them. So when Jesus does that, we're told that the disciples' eyes are opened. They now not only are able to see that it is Jesus that is their 
present among them, but everything about Jesus being the Messiah and suffering and the empty tomb, all of that now makes sense. And that all happened in the breaking of bread. And Luke uses this language, took bread, blessed it, and broke it, because he wants us to connect the Emmaus story back to the story of the Lord's Supper. Um, Mm. He wants us to understand these two stories in light of one another. And so when we think about the Emmaus story, it was in the breaking of bread that the disciples' eyes were opened and Jesus was made known to them in the present. The Lord's Supper brings Jesus into the present as he continues to host the meal in anticipation of hosting the eschatological banquet in the new creation. So the Lord's Supper also has past, present, and future. We remember Jesus' death and his life in the past. We look forward to sitting at a table with Jesus in the future, in the new creation. But like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus is present at the table with us now. Um, I think sometimes we forget that the Lord's Supper is Jesus' meal. He is the host. He wasn't just the host 2,000 years ago when he instituted the Lord's Supper. He's still the host today. So he's present with us now at the table, just like Jesus was present with the disciples in Emmaus. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. Sometimes what that means is that sitting at the table with Jesus becomes for us also an eye-opening experience, just like it was for the disciples in Emmaus. And that means I, I put here on the, the show notes the real presence of Christ. I don't want to dive too much into that. That's a theological discussion that would need its own episode. But making sure that we understand that Jesus is still the host of the Lord's Supper And so that he is still present with us. I think sometimes we forget about the presence of Jesus when we take the Lord's Supper. We get so focused on remembering the past and maybe even sometimes looking to the future that we forget to live in the present and realize that Jesus is there with us at the table. And so... We can debate about to what degree Jesus is present at the table, and people a lot smarter than us have been debating that for centuries. And But what I simply want to say is that in some way, some form, some fashion, Christ is present when we take the Lord's Supper. And I would argue that he is present when we take the Lord's Supper in ways that he's not present uh, at other times and in other places. So... Most of us, I think, would recognize that like when we gather together on Sunday to worship and to sing and to study or uh, whatever we may be doing when we gather together, we tend to recognize that God is present in those moments in ways that he's not in other moments and other places and other times in our lives, that worship is an overlap of heaven and earth in a way that is more pronounced than other things. So, you know, you can see God out in nature, but I think most of us recognize that generally we tend to encounter God differently in worship than we do just walking down the street or something like that. Not that we can't, but there's a heightened experience, I think. 
Uh, I would argue, and it, you know, I'm, I may be wrong, but I would argue that I think the Lord's Supper is the greatest overlap of heaven and earth. Hmm. Because I think when you read through Luke's gospel, and I, I think we're going to do, after this one, I think we've got one more that we're going to do and kind of sum, sum hmm. everything up. But we'll we'll talk about it more, this idea more in that episode. But when you look through Luke's gospel and see what Jesus did at the table, how it was at the table, not through preaching, not through anything else, but it was at the table that Jesus identifies himself, where he identifies and explains the kingdom of God, where people have an experience of salvation, an experience of God, where they have their eyes opened, how all of that happens at the table. I think Luke's trying to tell us that these table moments with Jesus are special in ways that other moments are not quite as special because Jesus Mm -hmm. does unique things at the table and generally only at the table in Luke's gospel. Um, And that makes sense, not just with the the Passover, but uh, with, I mean, what we see Jesus doing in Luke's gospel at the table shows how important that specific area is. Uh, But also the... Uh, all of the feast days that they were commanded to keep throughout the Old Testament uh, and those times of, yes, remembrance, but it was remembrance in their in their fellowship with one another, just this sitting and eating and all of that. There's, there is something very powerful about the sitting down at the table uh, to have these all, all things in common, you know, share, share the food together and, um, the group effort or providing for those that could not provide for you. And all, all these elements we've talked about, there's just that there's a unique setting mm-hmm. to sitting around a table to eat together. Uh, and so it makes sense that, uh, these accounts like the one that you shared of the Emmaus story, that even though it's like not, not Lord's Supper, it's it's Lord's Supper stuff. Like that's meant to evoke that kind of thing because there's something important uh, about the sitting around the table. Um, speaking of Jesus, uh, we have some things here, and I'll let Spencer roll into both these parts because it's kind of final point plus uh, application stuff of remembering Jesus and then bringing him into our present. Uh, Spencer, what do we need to, because we've, we've said some about Jesus already, but what what do you want to focus on as we think about remembering Jesus specifically? I think it's important for us to remember uh, how we've talked about the way that Luke tells the story of the Lord's Supper. He not only reminds us of Jesus' passion, of his death that the bread and the wine represent, but Luke tells the story in a way that reminds us of Jesus' entire life. We've In every episode, we've talked about how there's something that is going on in Luke's version of Last Supper. And it's generally something that only Luke or only Luke and Paul have that connects back to another story or another event, another table scene in Luke's gospel. So he's trying to invoke in the way that he tells it the entire life of Jesus, specifically He's trying to remind us what Jesus does at tables, how he has an open table uh, to tax collectors and sinners. He eats with outcasts. He eats with the diseased and the disabled. How Jesus' table 
is open and inclusive of all people. And so for Luke, to remember Jesus in the Lord's Supper is to remember Jesus' entire life. To remember Jesus' body as we take of the bread is to remember what Jesus did in his body. To sit at Jesus' table when we take the Lord's Supper is to remember the kinds of people that Jesus invited to his table and the people that he promised to include in his eschatological table, the people that are promised to be included in the new creation. However, as we've talked about, to remember Jesus' life and table from the past, so that's the first thing. When we remember Jesus in the past, it's not just, I, I've, I, I know some people that are very big on the Lord's Supper is the time that we remember that Jesus died. Well, that's part of it, mm-hmm. but you're missing yeah. it because if Jesus died, first off, if Jesus died and wasn't resurrected, the Lord's Supper has no meaning. But mm-hmm. Luke wants to make sure that when we read his account, we don't just think of Jesus' death and we don't just think of Jesus' resurrection. When we remember Jesus in the past, we're remembering his entire life. And particularly for Luke, Luke wants us to remember, okay, I'm sitting at the Lord's Supper, at the Lord's table. This is Jesus' table. And so... Jesus also sat at other tables. And when he sat at those other tables, he tried to explain what tables ought to look like. And all of these things ought to be coming into our minds as we take the Lord's Supper. And that leads us you know, to ask questions like, well, does this table look like what Jesus taught throughout the gospel that tables ought to look like? Do my personal table in, in my home, the people that I interact with, do they look like the kinds of tables that Jesus sought to create throughout his ministry. And so we're remembering all of that as we take of the Lord's Supper. But as Luke has shown throughout the gospel, and so as Jesus as Luke, I mean as Luke has shown throughout the gospel, when Jesus is present at the table, he convicts those present at the table. Specifically, Jesus convicts his table companions regarding their ministry to the outcast and the inclusivity of their tables, which are meant to reflect Jesus' table and the character of the eschatological table. And so for Luke to tell Mm. the story of the Lord's Supper in such a way is to convict his readers to display the same inclusivity as Jesus. So uh, I know I've said this before regarding worship, that if you worship and you encounter God, if, 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 if worship is a time when you encounter God, and if encountering God always results in transformation, then if you worship and you leave having not been transformed, you didn't actually worship because you didn't have an encounter with God. The same thing I think is true for the Lord's Supper. If Jesus is still the host, so if Jesus is present here and now as we gather around the table, and if it is true, as we see every other time that Jesus is, is at a table in Luke, that encountering Jesus at the table is a moment where we are convicted particularly convicted about our inclusivity. Who are we including and who are we excluding? Then what that means is if we gather around the table and take the Lord's Supper and are not convicted regarding our inclusivity, then we haven't taken the Lord's Supper. We've just eaten some generally stale bread and stale grape juice and not actually (laughs) taken the Lord's Supper because by necessity to encounter Jesus at the table is to be convicted 
to show the same inclusivity as Jesus. Again, it's to remember all the other times that Jesus sat at tables and what he wanted tables to look like. And so to bring Jesus into the present is to allow Jesus to work in the present, in our churches and in our lives, to model that same kind of inclusivity that Jesus modeled. And so I, I'm actually preaching on this idea on Sunday. And one of the things that I'm going to ask is how do we make Jesus present? Not that it's within our power to make Jesus present, right? Jesus is always present. He, he's always around. But the, the question of how through the way that we live, do we make Jesus present in other people's lives? How do we as a church make Jesus present when we worship? How do we as a church, when people walk in our doors, how do we make Jesus present to them? And Hmm. so I kind of ask some questions of, you know, if we believe that Jesus is still alive, if we believe that the tomb was found empty, if we believe that Jesus is still working in the world, if we believe that we are the body of Christ, then we have a responsibility to bring Jesus into the present. He's already here. But the idea is we have a responsibility to allow Jesus to work through us in the present, to be his hands and feet, to actually be his body in the world. And particularly for Luke, you know that that has happened when you are inclusive of other people. And I last week when I was preaching over in uh, including sinners and the outcasts, This is a statement that I made, and I didn't make it when we did the episode here. So I think this is a good time to mention it. I I said last Sunday that Jesus... Well, I asked the question, why does Jesus eat with sinners? And Mm. I said that if you ask most religious people that question, the answer you're going to get is repentance. He ate with sinners to lead them to repentance. And that's true. Read Luke chapter 5 after Jesus calls Levi and the Pharisees complain about Jesus eating with Levi, the tax collector, and all of his friends. Jesus says uh, that a physician, the the, uh, the healthy have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've called not to uh, call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus desires repentance, but... I said one problem when we say that is we create a Jesus who interacts with sinners out there, so outside of his group, to lead them to repentance so that he can make them a part of his group. And so you get a Jesus who might be a friend of sinners but not inclusive of them, and that kind of gets translated into the church of, well, we treat people out there differently than we treat people in here. And that's problematic. Because I think that Mm. Luke shows us that Jesus produced repentance, not through preaching, not through condemning people, not even primarily through uh, healing and helping people. But Jesus, I think, produced repentance primarily through radical inclusion, which while Jesus made a distinction between the identity of disciples and non-disciples, that is, Jesus does believe that a follower and a non-follower look differently. That if you follow him, there's sure. there's a price to pay, that there's a way to live. But 
While Jesus makes that distinction, he doesn't make a distinction between the treatment and the inclusion of disciples and non-disciples. And the example Mm -hmm. that I give is the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus doesn't require Zacchaeus to repent before sitting at a table with him. It's sitting at the table with Zacchaeus that leads Zacchaeus to repentance. And so the, the table isn't a place to come after believing. It's the place to come in order to believe. For with the story of Zacchaeus, it's including people at the table is what leads people to repentance. So repentance is not a prerequisite for the table. The table is the place to come in order to repent. You think about the inclusion of Jesus with someone like the sinful woman, uh, the or the uh, the woman caught in adultery um, in John, or the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, Jesus changes their lives not primarily by anything that he says, but by the way that he includes them. The way that he treats them differently than everybody else treats them. Yeah, It's not that Jesus didn't teach or say anything. He obviously did. And he says, you know, to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Like, he's not saying do whatever you want. But that comes at the end of the inclusive encounter with Jesus. It comes after being invited to the table. It comes after Jesus sitting with them and including the outsiders in the same way that he included his insiders. And so that's what it means to show the inclusivity of Jesus today. And so if we actually believe that Jesus is present, then that presence should convict us to show the same kind of, in, of inclusivity as Jesus. And so we ask mm. that question of how do we bring Jesus into the present? How do we make Jesus present in the lives of people? And I would argue that the primary place we do that, and most definitely I think the starting place, is the program of radical inclusion that Jesus evidenced in his ministry and is evidenced in all four of the Gospels. It's not just Luke, though Luke highlights it, I think, more than the others. And that then that becomes our job as well as individuals and particularly as churches. I don't know if you ever think of, you know, if someone walks into our churches off the streets, are they going to encounter Jesus? Or are they going to leave and wonder mm-hmm. if he was on vacation this week? And unfortunately, I think too often people walk into churches and have no experience of Jesus. And yeah. if we're the body of Christ, I think that's a bit problematic. Yeah. Uh, there's one book in particular I've been using in some evangelistic studies we've had this year. It's uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And uh, the author, uh, formerly uh, agnostic, practicing homosexual who came to uh, study more and have an interest in Christ and then ultimately center her life around him uh, as a result of a family opening up their home, a family who was uh, living out the Bible and had it all over their walls and uh, didn't, uh, didn't go... Uh, I would say too heavy on the teaching and things like that right away, but we're just opening their home to somebody who was very different from them to come around the table. Uh, I, I think as she was going through college and all of this, uh, and that is what she credits the change of her life trajectory to is coming and being invited around the table with Christian people 
uh, and being shown in that intimate setting how how things can be. Uh, and as we've discussed throughout the Gospel of Luke, but as Spencer said as well, it's highlighted to some degree throughout all of the Gospels, uh, that you have these table uh, fellowship moments, uh, including those that are not Christian people, but would be receptive to that, uh, given the opportunity and exposure to Jesus and Jesus' people. Uh, so something I think very good for us, if if nothing else, thinking about the hospitality we offer within our own lives, uh, how we, you know, are we making calls to the people that are out there that we know need to know who Jesus is and inviting them into our homes, into our churches uh, to come sit uh, around the table with us uh, so they can come and encounter him. Good thoughts. Any Anything uh, to add before we close up? I think... I've about exhausted what uh, I need to <laughs> okay. say. I, I could always say more, but... Uh, of course. I, you said said we've got about one more of these within this subject, probably maybe another one sneaks in there, but uh, wrapping up this series soon. So if you have any questions, comments, thoughts on this particular subject, let us know. Uh, reach out to us on Facebook, uh, our personal social media places, which is just Facebook for me, but anywhere else with, with Spencer there. Uh, and of course, strongchurchministries at gmail.com is a great uh, place to reach us as well for whatever thoughts you may have about things. And we'd love to hear the feedback and we'd love to interact with you as well. Uh, I think that's all we've got for uh, this episode today. Uh, make sure that uh, the next time you find yourself around the table, this this upcoming uh, Sunday, uh, make sure you're bringing Jesus into the present. You're remembering all of these pieces, Jesus and, uh, and, and Passover and the eschatological banquet that we're moving to and all those things. Uh, be very mindful of remembering those things and see if that doesn't change uh, the way that you think and sit around the table. This next worship service. Uh, That's all we've got this week. I'm Jack. That's Spencer. We'll see you next time.